Part four of Travels in Lancashire A Description of the County of Lancaster by Daniel Defoe Part one From a Tour Through the Island of Great Britain Divided into Circuits or Journeys Volume three Letter four This is a Librivox recording. All Librivox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit Librivox.org. I entered Lancashire at the remotest western point of that county, having been at Chester upon a particular occasion, and from thence ferried over from the Chestrian Chersonesus, as I have already called it, to Liverpool. This town stands on the eastern banks of the River Mersey. Its situation is low, extending along the shore in oval form. On the north side of the town, the country is a perfect flat for many miles. It is surrounded on the east side by higher lands gradually rising from the town to about the distance of a mile, forming on the whole a situation extremely pleasant and commodious for trade. Few places enjoy a more healthy climate or happy temperature of heat and cold than Liverpool. It is screened from the severe easterly winds in the winter by the range of high lands on that side and the refreshing sea breezes from the west frequently allay the excessive heats of summer. Snow, which falls here but rarely, seldom lies long, nor indeed anywhere upon the sea coast. Frost is not so intense here as in the inland countries. In the hot and sultry months, it seldom happens that the atmosphere is perfectly calm, the sea affording that perpetual current of air, which is a circumstance of such great importance to the healthfulness of large and populous cities. It must be confessed that the air in general is moister than in more elevated situations, and this humidity of the atmosphere often occasions thick fogs and dry weather in the winter season, but it is very serviceable in spring and summer, by affording a degree of moisture proper for vegetation to this sandy soil, which would otherwise quickly suffer by drought. The sea air renders the town so wholesome that though it is exceeding populous and closely built, epidemical disorders seldom appear, and when they do, are of short duration. The soil in and near Liverpool is dry and sandy for two miles round. The north shore consists of barren sands for an extent of twenty miles, but between the town and Kirkdale is a fine vale which has a rich marl under the surface and affords excellent pasturage. This track of ground was formerly common arable land, but has been many years enclosed. The soil in the neighbourhood of this town is particularly favourable to the growth of potatoes, an article highly useful to the poor, acceptable to the rich, and profitable to the industrious farmer. The cultivation of this excellent root has of late been so much attended to in this county, that the husbandman often depends more upon a good crop of potatoes than of wheat or any other grain. The river Mersey, which may more properly be considered as an arm of the sea, is subject to the variations of the tide. In spring tides the water rises about thirty feet, and in neap tides about fifteen feet. The breadth of the river at high water from Seacombe Point to the opposite shore is 1,200 yards, from the Pitch House to Burkitt Point is 1,500 yards. Almost all kinds of fish are here in great plenty. Footnote. See a table of fish taken and sold at Liverpool, 
with the prices etc fixed in enfield's essay towards the history of liverpool page seven in november fifteen sixty five there were in liverpool only one hundred and thirty eight householders and cottages who then employed no more than eleven barks and a boat the whole bulk amounting to but two hundred and twenty three tons and navigated by seventy five seamen wallasey had only two barks and a boat carrying but thirty six tons and fourteen seamen in the whole about the same time a rate was levied upon the inhabitants by which it appears that only seven streets were inhabited towards the close of queen elizabeth's reign henry earl of derby going to visit his isle of man and waiting some time for a passage at his house in liverpool called the tower the corporation erected and adorned a sumptuous stall or seat for his reception at church where he several times honoured them with his presence the town of liverpool was in sixteen forty four as well as in former periods much indebted to the family of the moors at bank hall particularly for many improvements in its buildings both public and private its ancient charity school was chiefly built and supported by that family and some of the streets derive their name from them the great increase of this town from the beginning of the present century to this time may be in part inferred from the numerous acts of parliament which have been granted for building churches for making convenient docks for their shipping for enlarging and repairing roads etc from these acts we see the speedy progress of population and trade in this flourishing town which has been such as to render it necessary within the space of sixty years to make three spacious docks and to build three large churches the first observation which a stranger makes upon his arrival in liverpool is generally perhaps that the streets are much too narrow either for convenience ornament or health and it must be owned that in the ancient parts of the town little attention has been paid to regularity or elegance and that in general the buildings are so crowded that the inhabitants are much more indebted for their health to nature than to art the number of streets lanes alleys etc is about two hundred and thirty a design has been formed and is now executing of erecting several new streets at the south end of the town under the name of new liverpool but how far the scheme will be accomplished is at present uncertain in seventeen seventy three a survey of the state of population was made in liverpool when the number of families then resident appeared to be eight thousand and two and of inhabitants thirty four thousand four hundred and seven the inhabitants of liverpool live more closely crowded together than in most other towns in northampton the proportion of inhabitants in a house is four and three quarters in birmingham according to an enumeration taken in seventeen seventy it is five and one ninth and in liverpool five and four fifths it is probable there is no place in great britain except london and edinburgh which contains so many inhabitants in so small a compass its whole area including all the docks yards and warehouses is not so large as that of birmingham or manchester yet it has a greater number of inhabitants than either of them the comparative state of liverpool with respect to some other towns whose inhabitants have been numbered or accurately computed may be seen in the following list london six hundred and fifty one thousand five hundred and eighty paris four hundred and eighty thousand berlin one hundred and thirty four thousand 
Amsterdam, 200,000. Liverpool, 34,407. Birmingham, 30,804. Norwich, 24,500. Leeds, 16,380. Shrewsbury, 8,141. Manchester, footnote. An enumeration of the number of inhabitants in the town of Manchester is now carrying on, and it is supposed will prove to be larger than has been late supposed. Liverpool is one of the wonders of Britain, because of its prodigious increase of trade and buildings, within the compass of a very few years. Rivaling Bristol in the trade to Virginia, and the English colonies in America, they trade also round the whole island, send ships to Norway, to Hamburg, to the Baltic, as also to Holland and Flanders, so that they are almost become, like the Londoners, universal merchants. The trade of Liverpool consists not only in merchandising and correspondences beyond seas, but as they import almost all kinds of foreign goods, they have consequently a great inland trade, and a great correspondence with Ireland and Scotland for consumption of their goods, exactly as it is with Bristol, and they really divide the trade with Bristol upon very remarkable equalities. Bristol lies upon the Irish Sea. So does Liverpool. Bristol trades chiefly to the south and west parts of Ireland, from Dublin in the east to Galway west. Liverpool has all the trade of the east shore and the north from the harbour of Dublin to Londonderry. Bristol has the trade of South Wales. Liverpool great part of that of North Wales. Bristol has the south-west counties of England, and some north of it, as high as Bridgenorth, and perhaps to Shrewsbury. Liverpool has all the northern counties, and a large consumption of goods in Cheshire and Staffordshire are supplied from thence. Though this town chiefly subsists by foreign commerce, and therefore cannot be expected to furnish many materials on the head of manufactures, yet it discovers its spirit of industry and its improving state, in this way as well as many others. English porcelain, in imitation of foreign china, has long been manufactured in this town, and formerly not without success. But of late this branch has been much upon the decline, partly because the Liverpool artists have not kept pace in their improvements with some others in the same way, but chiefly because the Staffordshire ware has had, and still continues to have, so general a demand, as almost to supersede the use of other English porcelain. The several branches of the watch manufactory, and that of fine files, have long been carried on in this town and neighbourhood. A stocking manufactory has within a few years been established, which employs many hands. Two glass houses, the salt works, copperous works, iron works, etc., also employ many hands in their several branches. Sugar baking and refining is a business which, ever since the increase of foreign commerce, has been carried on in this place. There are at present eight sugar houses in which about six thousand hogsheads of sugar are annually refined. Public breweries are exceedingly numerous in Liverpool. The whole number is thirty-six, of which thirty-three are for home consumption and three for exportation. It is commented that nearly 50,000 hogsheads of ale are brewed in their public breweries annually, of which upwards of 47,000 are for home consumption. There are, in or near the town of Liverpool, 
27 windmills, of which 16 are for grinding corn, 1 for grinding colours, etc., 1 for rasping and grinding dyer's wood, and 1 for raising water at the salt works. To supply the shipping, etc., there are in different parts of the town 15 roperies. Besides these, there are a variety of mechanical trades carried on in this, as in other large towns. In Liverpool are six churches and nine dissenting meeting-houses. Of the churches, the oldest is that of St. Nicholas, commonly called the Old Church. The time when it was built is uncertain. From its Gothic structure, it must, however, be of considerable antiquity. Near it formerly stood a statue of St. Nicholas, to which sailors used to present an offering on their going out to sea. This church affords little matter of curiosity, either to the antiquary or architect. Among the charitable buildings in this town is the Blue Coat Hospital, which made its appearance in the year 1709, where 200 children are clothed and educated. Here is likewise a public infirmary, first formed and hitherto conducted on the most liberal principles. The exchange is conveniently situated, but there is no point of view from which it may be seen to advantage. It is a handsome edifice, built of stone with two fronts, each of which consists of an elegant range of Corinthian columns, supporting a pediment and supported by a well-proportioned basement. Between the capitals are placed a basso relievo, heads and emblems of commerce. On the pediment of the grand front is a piece of sculpture well executed, which exhibits commerce committing her treasures to the care of Neptune. The custom house is conveniently situated at the east end of the old dock, and is a neat brick building, ornamented at the angles and windows with stone. A small flight of steps in the front leads to an open lobba or piazza, above which is the low room, or chief place for transacting the business of the customs with the other officers. Behind the building is a spacious yard with proper warehouses, except that for India goods, which is complained of as too small for the purpose. There are five public docks, three of which are so constructed with floodgates as to enclose a sufficient depth of water to keep the ships afloat in all times of the tide. The other two are called dry docks, because the water is not confined in them by floodgates, the great advantage of these docks can only be seen by comparing the ease and convenience with which business is done at Liverpool, with the labour hazard and delay which attend the lading and unlading of goods at London, Bristol, and other great ports which have no such receptacles. The boastful length and beauty of Yarmouth Quay, and that of Seville in Spain, are not indeed to be seen at Liverpool but the latter gains much more by having no part of its keys very remote from the centre of the town, and by affording such an extent of ground on all sides for the reception of goods, than the former by their perspective views. The Theatre Royal in Williamson Square is a large and handsome building, elegantly finished both on the outside and within. The pediment of the front is enriched with a well-executed piece of sculpture exhibiting the king's arms. The house is large and commodious. Its ornamental architecture and furniture is elegant. The stage is spacious, 
and the whole is well constructed for hearing. This theatre, which was opened in June 1772, cost nearly £6,000, and was built by the subscription of thirty gentlemen, who received from the managers for their respective shares five per cent, and a ticket entitling the bearer to attend every night of performance in any part of the house. Among the public places, the terrace at the south end of town, called St. James's Walk, deserves to be particularly mentioned. It is upon an agreeable elevation, which commands an extensive and noble prospect, including the town, the river, the Cheshire land, the Welsh mountains, and the sea. It is of a considerable length and much improved by art. Behind this eminence is a stone quarry, which plentifully supplies the town for every purpose of building. Here labour has exposed to view one continued face of stone, 380 yards long, and in many parts 16 yards deep. The entrance to this quarry is by a subterraneous passage, supported by arches, and the whole has a pleasing and romantic effect. There is found here a good chalybeate water, which appears upon trial to be little inferior to many of the spas. Liverpool is a corporate town, governed by a mayor and alderman, and sends two members to Parliament. The freemen of this town are also free of Bristol and of Waterford and Wexford in Ireland. Here are markets on Wednesdays and Saturdays, which are plentifully supplied and well regulated. Its fairs are held on July 25th and November 11th. Its streets are tolerably lighted with lamps during the winter season, and in general well paved and kept as clean, considering the populousness of the place, as can be expected. I shall conclude this account of Liverpool. Footnote. The reader who wishes to be informed of more particulars respecting Liverpool than the limits of this work will permit us to give here, is recommended to peruse Mr. Enfield's essay, mentioned in a preceding note. I shall conclude this account of Liverpool with observing that the country about it, including the southern part of Lancashire, formerly constituted part of the kingdom of the Brigantes, according to Richard de Cirencester, a monk of Westminster. In the time of the Heptarchy, the country about Liverpool was a part of the kingdom of Northumberland, the River Mersey being, in the Saxon times, the boundary of the kingdom of Mercia. From hence the Mersey, opening into the Irish Sea, we could see the great and famous road of Hoyle Lake, remarkable for the shipping, or rather rendezvous of the army and fleet under King William for the conquest of Ireland, anno 1689. For here the men of war rode as our ships do in the Downs, till the transports come to them from Chester and this town. Going east we passed by Highfield, the magnificent house of James Kenyon Esquire, and leaving Fairfield, the residence of John Turlington Esquire, on the right, we rode through Prescott, a good market town, and came to Warrington, which is situated upon the River Mersey, over which is a large stone bridge, originally built by the first Earl of Derby after his marriage with the Countess of Richmond, mother of Henry the Seventh, in order that the king might pass that rapid river with ease in a visit he made to Knowsley, where he was received in a stately stone building erected for that purpose. The entrance into Warrington is unpromising, the streets long, narrow, ill-built, and crowded with carts and passengers, 
but further on they are airy and of good width. They afford a striking mixture of mean buildings and handsome houses, as is the case with most trading towns that experience a sudden rise. Not that this place wants antiquity, for Leland speaks of it as having a better market than Manchester upwards of two hundred years ago. This town contains two churches with a dissenting and a Romish chapel, besides meeting-houses for Quakers, Anabaptists and Methodists. To these buildings may be added a large academy just built for the improvement of youth and preparing them for trade and merchandise. Besides this there is a charity school where twenty-six boys are clothed in blue and their education with apprentice fees paid for by a fund left by one Waterson who got a large fortune by showing for pence a dancing horse. Likewise an eminent free school where many boys from London and even the West India plantations are sent for education. The River Mersey runs close by the side of this town and parts Cheshire from Lancashire in its course to Liverpool where it enters the sea. Here are caught great quantities of fine salmon and smelts, uncommonly large, which in the spring are sent to London every day by the stages. By means of the Bridgewater New Canal, this river is made navigable up to Manchester, to and from which place much merchandise is carried in barges of about sixty tons burden. On its banks are paper mills, gunpowder mills and slitting mills. In the town of Warrington and villages around it, sailcloth for the Royal Navy is made to a considerable amount, in which, and other coarse linens, it is computed that the warehousemen of this town employ 12,000 persons. Thread and silk laces are wove in this town, and there are copper works, sugar houses and glass houses, which furnish the industrious with the means of living comfortably. Pins are here made, and malt, remarkable for furnishing the country around with good ale. Two fairs for all sorts of cattle, woollen manufactures, etc., are annually held, the one beginning on the 18th of July, and the other on St. Andrew's Day. The chief market is on Wednesday, and abounds with corn, cheese, and potatoes, which are here sold in great quantities for exportation. Thomas Patton, Esquire, the proprietor of the copper works has built at the end of the town in an elegant taste a stately dwelling-house the foundation of which is made with the dross of copper not far from this town is a place called ravenhill where john mackay esq has large coal-works and a plate-glass manufactory employing about four hundred men and it is said that his glass equals what is brought from france from warrington we went to view the bridgewater navigation of latchdale which township is remarkable for the richness of its soil, on which clover and the finest grasses naturally spring. The children there weave bone lace, their mothers spin thread for sailcloths, and their fathers weave it. A new and very elegant church has been just finished here by Mr. Leland, the architect, which has induced many of the dissenters to return to the service of the church. Near Warrington is also a village called Winwick, the rectory of which is in the gift of the Earl of Derby, and yields about £2,500 per annum to the possessor, now the Honourable and Reverend Mr. John Stanley, great-uncle to the Earl of Derby, who is likewise rector of Bury, worth £900. From hence on the road to Manchester, we passed the great bog or waste called Chat Moss, 
the first of the kind that we saw in england from any of the south parts hither it extends on the left side of the road ten miles east and west and they told us it was in some places seven or eight miles from north to south there are many of these mosses in this county take this for a description of all the rest the surface at a distance looks black and dirty and is indeed frightful to think of for in some parts it will bear neither horse nor man unless in an exceeding dry season and then so as not to be travelled over with safety the surface seems to be a collection of the small roots of innumerable vegetables matted together interwoven so thick as well the larger roots as the smaller fibres that it makes a substance hard enough to cut out into turf or peat which in some places the people pile up in the sun and dry for their fuel under the moss several large oak birch and fir trees are found from whence it is conjectured that here were formerly large woods which after falling sunk by degrees in the earth near this moss are the seats of charles pole esq and four miles further near to the town of burton you have a view of worsley hall the residence of the duke of bridgewater end of part four